Welcome to today's Church Central podcast. We're a family of churches across Birmingham. To find out more, head to churchcentral.org.uk. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I explained how Jonah is a book in the Bible about a prophet. And uh, it, it, comes, it has this pattern to the book. It's four chapters long. Chapter one is like the story about what happens to this guy. Chapter two is this guy's prayer to God, this interaction with him and God. Chapter three is a bit more of the story. And then chapter four is another interaction with God, a kind of conversation with God. And so we are going to go back into chapter three. Having done chapter one, we're going to go keep the story bit and go to chapter three. And so I want you to listen up. This morning is going to be specifically helpful for you if, A, uh, you don't believe God wants to use you either ever or again. You don't believe that you'd be any good even if God did want to help you. Or actually you've never experienced God's grace in your life. So. Remember, the book of Jonah is about the prophet. Most of the prophet books are kind of about what is God saying to the people. This is a bit different, this book, because we're looking at the life of the guy and what lessons we might learn from him. Uh, If you remember, this prophet, this God-man, this is the person who hears from what God's saying and tells the people what God is saying. He's been sent to this awful city called Nineveh. Uh, which is just so evil. And if you remember what I said a few weeks back, I won't do it because there are younger children in the room, but some really graphic, nasty stuff about this city. And he's been told to go there and pronounce judgment on it for how wicked they are. And we saw that in that first chapter, Jonah has been disobedient to God. Thumbs down, Jonah. He runs away in the opposite direction. He gets on this boat with some sailors who who are Gentiles. That means kind of non-God people, or not part of God's uh, family that have been there to bless and serve the world. Uh, and actually what happens is God sends a storm. He says, Jonah, stop running away. You need to come back. And he sends a storm. Uh, and Jonah says, listen, the only way the storm's going to stop is if you throw me overboard. There's this sacrificial moment in the book where the sailors get saved through the, the sacrifice of God's chosen person, which is obviously the Christ image there, which we didn't go into. And hopefully you won't need spoon feeding on that. But it's a really lovely lovely uh, bit in the bible and uh, Jonah doesn't die God sends a fish and swallows him up and basically the fish does this massive U-turn takes him all the way back to the shore and then we realize that actually as a person like Jonah's not as good as we hoped so my point two weeks ago was there's bad news there's better news and there's the best news the bad news is Jonah doesn't do what we hope he's going to do he's not as good as we hope the better news is that people respond to God's message better than we thought they might. You know, sailors actually repented, they gave their life to God, they tried to help Jonah, they were much kinder than he thought. And the best news was the grace and the rescue of God in that story. And actually, in chapter two, Jonah prays this prayer of thanks to God for saving his life. He redevotes himself to God. God tells the fish to vomit him up into dry land, and that's where we join the story. So we're gonna read uh, um, from Jonah chapter three, Uh, 10 verses. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. This time Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large it took three days to see it all. On the day that Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 
40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's message. And from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast. They put on burlap, which is basically like goat fur, uncomfortable clothes to show we're really sorry. And they showed their sorrow. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne. He took off his royal robes, dressed himself in burlap and sat on a heap of ashes. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree throughout the city. No one, not even the animals from your herds and flocks, may eat or drink anything at all. People and animals alike must wear garments of mourning and everyone must pray earnestly to God. They must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will change his mind and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. When God saw what they'd done and how they put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. He did not carry out the destruction that he threatened. Now this week, I could have used exactly the same headlines as I did in the first chapter. There's some bad news. Jonah's message wasn't particularly very good. He doesn't do it very well. There's some good news with how people respond to his message. And there's the best news as we hear about more of God's heart to save not just small groups of individuals or boatloads of people, but massive cities. But we're not going to do that. That'd be too easy. So I'm going to keep you on your toes. We're going to talk about something called grace today. Okay. So what does grace mean? Many of us here, when I say the word grace, you might think of a swan, you know, in the sense it's like, oh, such a graceful swan. Uh, And that might be kind of how most of us in the English language tend to think of the word grace. But biblical grace is actually, it's God's favour and kindness towards us. It's getting more than we deserve. And I have a story from my teenage years. Zoe hates this story because it's set a precedent in our life, which hasn't particularly been very helpful. Um, But when I was a teenager, very occasionally I'd be asked to do some chores around the house. I didn't have many. I'm going to be really honest with you. I didn't have many chores. I had a good deal growing up. But one week, when I had not done the chores that I was meant to have been doing, um, I received a quick lesson in grace. I hadn't done the chores, my toxic bedroom, which probably hadn't been cleaned for about a decade, I had no space on the floor. It's like I was one of those teenagers. And if there was a gap, there's probably something growing in it by this, by this point. I came home one day and it was spotless. Absolutely spotless. This is great. This is brilliant. And all it was was a sheet of paper on the, on the middle of the floor. And it says, Grace has come to your room today. (laughs) Honestly, I'm the best mum. I did learn many lessons, actually, uh, in that moment, I don't think. But I did learn one lesson about what grace means. It's not something I, I didn't deserve for someone else to come and clean my room. I hadn't earned that, but it was such a good gift. I could walk around my room, and it was great. Wasn't tiptoeing everywhere, falling over. In a nutshell, this is why Christians bang on about the love of Jesus and this amazing grace all the time, because we recognise something. Uh, We recognise this gift that God has given us. But was clear, we're all born as humans to worship God, but we're blocked by our sinful desire to basically say, I'm in charge, this is my room, I'll do what I want in it, thanks very much. And this sin, that sense of I'm in charge, I'm the king, and I'm the one, it blocks us from having this personal relationship with God. It blocks us from his power and his presence. There's a problem there. We can't approach God. It's like a toxin. It's like a poison inside of us, this sin. 
and it needs dealing with. It's got to be cut off and got to be removed. And rather than just leaving us cut off and leaving us to fester in that poison and in that sin, Jesus comes and he takes that sin, that toxin, upon himself on the cross. He puts it to death and he declares those that will accept him as perfectly clean. No more toxin, no more poison. And he gives us like a robe of righteousness. That's like right standing. It's like this is all good now. There's no more problems. There's no more toxin. You've been purified. That all happens through the blood of Jesus on the cross. That's why we talk about it. I get it. It's weird. If you're not a believer here, it's like, why do people go on about this thing on the cross all the time? It's graphic. It's horrible. It's not. It's absolutely not. It's the most wonderful life-giving moment. So grace is not getting what we deserve, but it's getting something greater in its place. So why are we talking about grace when we should be talking about a man in a fit, or at least that story? Well, here's three points. There's grace for second chances that I see in this story. There's grace for us in our weakness that I see in this story. And there's grace for the city in this story. So grace for second chances, there's two of them. First of all, second chance for Jonah. God doesn't give up on Jonah, does he? I love this. This is just that opening verse in the chapter we've just read. God spoke to Jonah a second time. He's not given up. He's not forgotten. He's not, God hasn't looked at the situation and thought, you had your chance, mate, and you blew it. You stuffed it up. See you later. I'm off to, I've got someone else here who's actually much more obedient. He's got much better character than you. But God doesn't give up on him. Pursued him. Brilliant. So for those of you who don't believe that God wants to use you in his plans and purposes this morning, perhaps you're sitting here thinking this is another Sunday message. Or be encouraged. No matter how far you've travelled in your life, in maybe the opposite direction to God's plans and purposes and will for you, be encouraged. God is about bringing people back. So just like we saw in chapter one, God watched Jonah throughout all of his running away. He couldn't escape the love of God. But it gets better still. Not only could Jonah not escape God's love, he was also brought straight back into the plans and the purposes of God. The two things go hand in hand. It's not like, well, I'm sort of okay with God relationally now, but I just can't be used by him anymore. That doesn't sort of equate here. The two are intrinsically linked. So as you say, sorry, as many of us in this room have done for wandering off in our own direction. When you say sorry, he's the kind of God. This is a, you know the prodigal son story? So much parallels between this book of Jonah and that story. As we come back, God like clothes us with a robe of righteousness, puts a ring on our fingers, says, No, no, I've bought you with a price. Come on, be part of the story now. I think it's really encouraging. So you should recognise God's bought you with a price. If you're led in, you turn to Jesus. Stop running, because he's ready to draw you into his cosmic mission. For you, your family, for the city. That is encouraging. Please be encouraged by that this morning. And Jonah isn't the only one who gets a second chance in this story. The city of Nineveh themselves get a second chance. He sees the wickedness of the city and he has to do something about it. So he sends his prophet, this God-hearer, to tell them what's going to happen because of their wickedness. God wasn't prepared to let the city carry on in their evil ways. He could have just put an end to Nineveh there and then, couldn't he, really? Could have forgotten about it and just sort of, no, no, we'll move on to a city that might well respond better. But no, he doesn't give up on Nineveh just because Jonah gave up on God. He finds a way to make it happen. 
to that evil city, Nineveh, full of people doing atrocious things. Jonah, we find out in the last chapter, he doesn't actually want to see them saved at all, turns out. And we might feel a little bit like Jonah in this story. We might think that some people aren't deserving of the grace of God. It might be people that have hurt you personally. It might be groups of people thinking about KKK or Nazi and the Hitlers. Whatever bad group of people or bad individual that you can think of, there's a very real element to all of us, I think, which is, I know the grace of God is you know, sufficient for everyone, and it's the preacher's job to tell us that that's the case, but really that person doesn't deserve it. You should have seen how they spoke to me. I've seen their heart. That isn't the heart of God. The grace of God. There's a brilliant uh, quote, which I can't actually remember. It's Charles Spurgeon. It talks about the depth, no matter what depth of your sin, the depth of the riches of Christ are so much more. There's no distance that we can go that is too far for God to bring us back from. And actually, a lot of my friends that don't know Jesus would find this part of the gospel the hardest part to swallow. How could God forgive that person? Because you know what? There's something about justice that we want to see. And that's not all bad. God is a God of justice. And sometimes we're called to respond as individuals to to help see that fulfilled here, this side of eternity. But also recognise that actually this God of justice is going to see that justice handed out in the way that he sees fit. Whether it is through people accepting Jesus and that justice getting poured out on his son or whether it's something else that happens to those individuals who have to spend eternity away from the goodness of God. Justice will be done, and it's our job not to worry about how it's dispensed. Because too often we seat ourselves in the judgment seat, and we say, I'll decide who gets to see the judgment. That's not what we're called to do, friends. Right, where am I? Okay. There's grace in our weakness. At this point in the story, we think Jonah's basically done 180 degree turn, don't we? He said sorry to God. God's rescued him. He said sorry. He's out. Fish spat him out and he's been brought back into the purposes. Well, yes and no. The fish spat out Jonah. He's probably a month's walk away from Nineveh. 25, 20 to 25 miles of walking every day for a month that he has to do to get there. That is a lot of obedience, I thought. I don't like walking. Definitely don't like running. And I was like, if I had to trudge that far every day, with all that's in my head is, I'm going somewhere I don't want to go, but the reason I'm going there is because I need to be obedient to God. That is a good lesson (laughs) to take away. It's worth it in the end. When he gets there, having had all that time, by the way, to apply and craft this brilliant gospel message, when I get there, I'm going to sharpen this up. It's going to be an absolute bomb of a message. He said nothing more or nothing less than God had told him to say. Five Hebrew words, or eight in English, 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. But miraculously, the entire city, including the kin, repent of their evil ways and put their trust in God. One of the things I was reflecting on for this morning is that Nineveh's a bit like Birmingham. Big city, often feels godless, often see a lot of the challenge. Just last week, sort of post of loads of people attacking each other on mopeds with knives up on the Hawthorne. Like, what's going on? This feels like a godless city, doesn't it? Well, yeah, that should help us look at this story and think, well, what are we going to do about it? And you might think, well, what can I possibly offer? I feel quite weak. 
city seems too big for me. I'm just who I am. But here, let's look at what Jonah had to offer. A history of poor choices and running away from God. He was poor, unless he took his bag into the fish with him, which I don't think he probably did. His clothes are covered in vomit, and he's tired from walking for so long to get to the city. But he does have a salvation story, as many of us in this room do. And he does have a message from God for the people, no matter how badly it was delivered. That's, that's no different to each one of us in this room, from, well, most of us in this room. God's calling us to serve this city, to serve King Stanley with the word that he's written inside of our heart. You might feel that you've made a lot of bad choices in your life. You might feel that like you've spent a lot of time running in the opposite direction. You might feel a little bit scared that actually you're not good enough to take God's message to the people in King Standing and Birmingham. You might have little wealth or little social status. You might not wear the nicest clothes in town, but listen, God chooses people just like that to do his will. Salvation isn't down to you. We've just been singing it. Salvation belongs to God. So all the time we're thinking, oh, if I can just word this right, they'll come to Jesus. Or when we've had conversations and we think, I don't get it. There's such a clear and obvious avenue between why the gospel is the solution to this problem in my friend's life and they're just walking away. You say, what? Just be encouraged. You've done your job. You've brought the message. Let's let God do that. Let his, let his grace do that. I'm not saying be callous and be stupid about how you talk about it. But just, just rest in the fact that God pursues that. It's about him doing his work. I mean, it'd be the same way for us. It'd be Jonah's message to Nineveh. It's basically the modern day equivalent of us saying, you're a sinner and when you die, you're going to go to hell. And we would be like, oh no. Like, ah, awkward. Like, don't say it like that. Like, you're going you're to scare people off. They're not going to like you. And probably, many times, that might well be true. But in this case, that was all that Jonah was told to do. So he did it. And a whole city responded. You might not think you're the most eloquent speaker. You might not think your personality type is the type that needs to go and talk to people. But your job is to be God's mouthpiece and let God do the rest. So here's the challenge. Do you want to be like the Jonah chapter 1 guy who runs and hides, scared, away from pursuing the mission and the call to see people saved in the city? Or do you want to be like the chapter 3? who You know your motivation or your ability might not quite be there yet but there's an obedience to God in doing it and seeing how God might use you. God spoke words to Jonah. Jonah spoke words to Nineveh. We're called to live out our faith, sure, for those of us that love Jesus. We're called to be like a, a, a lamp that's put on a stand so everyone can see it. But it does have come to a point where we have to be able to use words to help articulate the love that we say we profess in our heart. I, I, I really, I'm really challenged on this. I think too often there is this idea that, well, people come to know Jesus, do I, just the way that I live my life? Maybe, if you talk about him as well. If they don't know who it is, how can they possibly? It wasn't Jonah's message, it was God's message that Jonah spoke. And just like him, we have a message from God. And be encouraged with that. It's not in the strength of your message, it's in the strength of God's message. So this last bit, there's grace for the city. 
This story of Jonah going to Nineveh could have easily been you and me going to King Standing. People of King Standing believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they declared a fast and wrote public apologies on their Facebook page, and they were sorry for ignoring Jesus and returned to the true hope that they have in Christ. Why is that any different? Why would we believe it would be? God had a grace for Nineveh that went beyond Jonah's heart, ability, motivation. God's heart for King Stanley goes far beyond how you and I think we're going to engage with this part of the city. We might not get it. There might be lots of things we don't understand about the city of Birmingham. But one thing we can be absolutely sure about is that God loves this city far more than any of you, you or me, any of us in this room ever could. He's not given up on it. So we can either partner with him in that, or we can move away. I, I suggest you don't stick around and not take part in it. I don't, I don't see that as an option. <laughs> as a church, we're believing for a few key things. I mentioned it earlier. We believe God's got many people for us in the city, that we're called to be for the good of the city, and that we want to see Jesus the most talked about person in the city. It involves talking, friends, just like Jonah did. We're not going into chapter 4, where basically a lot of stuff in Jonah's heart gets revealed. But I just want to throw this in. You might just feel like, I just don't feel a motivation to reach the lost in Birmingham. Do you know, that's the whole of chapter 4 in Jonah. And I suggest you go home and read that and reflect. God spends a whole chapter, 25% of this whole story, gently explaining to Jonah where he's got it wrong. And it brings him in. We don't actually know what Jonah's response is at the end of the book. But I think that's deliberate. I think the writers have done that deliberately so that you and I are reading this book thinking, well, what would my response have been at the end? And that's what we're called to think about this morning. We're going to... Did we get this, this song? We're going to sing a song. This is from about 10 years ago. Chris Tomlin wrote, um, God of the City. So I want you to enjoy the song. Uh, we'll stay sitting down. You can close your eyes if you know it. But I want you to think about your position in the city of Birmingham this morning. And as you sing this, if you want to sing it, think about God's heart for Birmingham. Is that all right? We're not called to Nineveh. We're called to Birmingham. And God's amazing, great story.